if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's guest on Horse Chats is Ella Bradshaw. Now, Ella has a predominant riding interest in eventing, so I'm keen to talk to her about that, but I'm really excited to talk to her about a research interest, which is horse behaviour and welfare. But before I introduce Ella, just want to remind you about the vision of Online Horse, or International Horse College it is now. I keep thinking Online Horse College, which we were for a long time, but now we're International Horse College because of the international students we have. We feel that we're really an international college. If you've got the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at our website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. And on that note, we're going to introduce Ella Bradshaw, who has that research interest in horse behaviour and welfare. I'm really excited to talk to you about that. How are you, Ella? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Oh, very good, very good. Excited to talk to you, Ella. But before we even get started, you know, I'd like to introduce people and their favourite quote because I think that gives a bit of a look between the lines almost, you know, depending on what your quote is, what your philosophy is, and it says quite a few things about you. So what have you got for a favourite quote today? Uh, Well, I've actually got two. Um, and I suppose it depends on how rough a day I'm having. Yep. Um, so I always like the quote, remember why you started, because I think with horses it's really important to remember that, you know, ourselves or pretty much anyone in this industry started because they just love these animals. And it's important to keep that in sight with all the decisions we make as we learn more. Mm. Um, and then my other one is the Winston Churchill quote, which is if you're going through hell, just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes you just have those rough days. And, you know, if you're in horses, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like those quotes. There's another one of Winston Churchill that's um, the outside of a horse being good for the inside of a man, you know, that's sometimes um, used as well. But the remember where you started, I think, is particularly important because, you know, we talk about the magical connection with horses and how you got into them and everything else. But sometimes I think people forget about that and that's when it becomes a welfare problem is people forget and they don't have the same empathy for the horse and the same connection as they used to have. And um, I think you've just got to keep coming back. Why did you start? Why did you start down this path in the first place? And that's important. Ella, your research, horse behaviour and welfare, what made you start down that path? Um, Well, uh, I think it was a combination of something I've always, you know, been really interested in, Mm -hmm. Um, that whole idea of, we, we use horses and obviously in today's um, social climate, that, that concept of horse is, is becoming more and more, um, I guess, uh, like the social license for it's becoming more tenuous. People are questioning what the role is of horses in today's society and how we should be using them. You must have gone to um, the talk with Rolly Owens from World Horse Welfare, did you? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, so I, I did watch that um, online. Yep. Uh, he does great work, um, I suppose. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and that was a, a cool concept that I was investigating in my research with 
um, horse behaviour welfare and, you know, how we can better measure and assess it so that we we can sort of, you know, have this more solid social licence and relationship with the general public. You know, we, we need to be able to prove or know that what we're doing is in the horse's best interest. And if we can't do that, then I think it's pretty easy to understand why people have concerns. Yes, exactly. It's almost like we've got to have permission to do what we do, particularly as competitive riders. You know, that we get people that, and, and, you know, not saying that all all competitive horses are happy, but, you know, I think if people are really looking to keep a happy, willing horse, then that's what they want right through. It doesn't matter about the competitions. You know, they'll stop a horse if the horse is not happy, and, and I think that needs to be recognised. Yeah. But sorry, I interrupted. Keep telling me about how you, you know, you were talking about being interested in the social licensing and the welfare, but keep going about oh, how you um, went down that path. Yeah, so yeah. I, I guess my main influence would be Hayley Randall, because she was one of my lecturers during my undergrad mm-hmm. um, at South State University. And then, um, you know, we, we just, I guess we're quite similar, <laughs> which is something that I will own quite proudly um, because I think she's fantastic. Uh, and she offered to me to do honours with her and she kind of presented the project to me. And I just jumped on the chance because, as I said, you know, that idea of horse welfare and improving it's really important. But it can be really hard to sort of understand where to start or how to go about, you know, looking at it or investigating it or trying to take change on it. Um, and so she sort of illuminated that path forward for me and I already had an research. I'd, I'd done some um, research at the veterinary diagnostic lab at Charles State University with sheep, actually, not with horses. Um, and you know, I, I loved the concept of research. I loved the project that was in front of me. Um, I had an interest in that area, so it was all my boxes being ticked. Mm, mm, mm. Now, this is the horse behaviour, you know, and I like to think that I'm interested in safety around horses, but how much do you think horse behaviour affects safety around horses? And, and oh, pro- um, I shouldn't say, yeah, it's it's the recognition and the knowledge of the horse behaviour and being able to apply that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it, it is actually so, so important. There's uh, quite a few papers out there now on, um, you know, uh, a student's recognition of horse behaviour and their interpretation of it. Um, so they've done quite a few on uh, vet students and equine science students who presented them with a few different videos of horses performing behaviours and asked them to make judgments on that horse from from what they're seeing. And, um, you know, considering the dangerousness of working with horses, whether it's in the clinical context um, as a vet or even, you know, majority of horse handling accidents come from being on the ground with them rather than riding, um, yeah, you know, the, the scores were uh, a little alarming, to be honest, that people weren't reading the behaviour correctly and or I suppose interpreting it incorrectly and then, you know, their subsequent judgments and that could put them in really dangerous situations down the road if they, if they can't understand what they're saying and responding accordingly um, where we're putting people at risk. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the vet students. You know, sometimes people grow up, they love dogs and cats. People say, oh, look, you're so good with animals, you should be a vet. And they become a vet. Now, they're the ones that you're a bit worried, you know, that they have a minimal exposure to horses, yet they're still qualified to treat horses. And while they might say, look, I'm only going to do dogs and cats, I don't do horses, someone's going to be at a dog and cat surgery and they say, look, my horse just needs stitching, he's quiet, I'll bring him right up. 
you know, you don't have to travel to him. It's just you're the only vet in the area at the time. And they, at some stage in their career, they're going to be working on a horse. So I can understand, you know, how important this whole research about the behaviour is. Yeah, and it's um, it's yeah, you're completely right. You know, they're they're always going to be associated by a public as as someone who can help them with sick or injured animal, um, and whether that's horses or not, you know, they are, as you said, qualified to treat. And that doesn't mean that they've had extensive horse practice. You know, they might have a bit of handling within the course, and then they would have done their placements. But um, you know, a lot of those uh, key behavioural indicators. For, for experienced horse people, end up becoming second nature. You know, the way that you react to a horse swinging around, the way that you react to a horse's um, body language, their positioning of their head and neck posture, all of that. You know, we we interpret that quickly and we read it quickly and we react quickly. Um, when they don't have that ability to do the same, um, you know, yet again, we're putting we're putting people at risk or they're putting themselves at risk. Uh, so it, it's definitely a conundrum that is presented to people heading into the veterinary field, um, you know, what do we do? How do we maximise their handling and exposure as safely as possible whilst having to deal with the fact they've got an incredibly large curriculum that's already time-consuming with content? You know, how do we balance that? Mm, mm. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. So I'm going to sort of jump around now thinking, still thinking along the horse behaviour and I know that you were given your first horse, is that right? Tell us about that day. Yeah. You know, because every little girl um, wants to be given their horse. And, and I know when I was young, I wouldn't have cared what horse it was, but I just needed to get a horse. You know, it's almost like I just need any horse, a horse, any horse, not the right horse. But yeah. tell, us, tell us about your first <laughs> yeah. horse. Yeah. Um, I, well, I think I learned the hard way that being given any horse is really not, <laughs> um, doesn't really work out for most people. Um, my first horse, uh, great aunt and a great uncle lived over in WA and they ran a horse stud called Carindale and they bred thoroughbred racehorses. Um, and when my mum was, you know, a young teenager, they sort of did the same for her where they had a horse that had retired from racing um, and they just said, oh, you know, here, have have the horse. Um, and and uh, I think was a bit more fortunate than I in the sense that horse transitioned quite quickly um, to just being a general pleasure horse. Um, my first horse was a lovely thoroughbred gelding by a stallion called Brown Range. Um, unfortunately, he, and you know what? I'm not even going to say that he, there's anything wrong with him, but it, it's what always happens or what often happens when you have um, a horse with minimal education and a ride that's just trying to figure everything out. You get those 
cross wires, you know, sure. my timing and my cues would have been all over the place and he would have got confused and he did what any self-respecting horse would do and he asked me to dismount um, <laughs> and sometimes made me dismount. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, it, it wasn't a dream come true in terms of, you know, young girl gets her first horse and rides off into the sunset happily ever after. But what did happen was, you know, once you've got your first horse and your foot sort of in the door, mum couldn't really get me back out again. So then it became a matter of uh, finding a more appropriate horse. But we did end up keeping Henry, my first horse, um, till the day he passed away, which was a couple of years ago now. Okay. Okay. That was probably a good story. So um, as a person that's interested in horse behaviour, you're not going to recommend a horse like that? No. And I, I still think that it was a really important experience for me because as a young kid who didn't really know what was what was happening or why things were going so wrong. And I'm looking at all my friends who are taking their horses to pony club and they're going to events, they're winning competitions. Mm. And I'm sitting there going, why can't I just do that? Why isn't it that easy? You know, I was absolutely devastated and I couldn't figure it out. And so I think even then it sort of spurned that, that need for me to learn and understand why things were going wrong. Yes. And so we did actually, I mean, by this point, um, my instructor at the time had given me one of her horses temporarily and I was riding her and you know, having the world's best time on a very educated, safe horse um, and getting that confidence back. But we did end up taking him to the uh, Australian Equine Behaviour Centre, so ABC run by Andrew McLean, for some rehabilitation and watching what they could do with him in a very short period of time using that evidence-based learning theory training program that they do um, was really eye-opening for me that there is a different way. And, yeah. you know, you, you can't just write horses off as naughty because it's not about that. So no. that was a really big learning curve for me at a young age. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important learning curve for anyone is, you know, that horses, it's not that they're naughty, they're reacting the way that is the most, that they think that, you know, is going to be the best outcome for them. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's definitely, you know, and it, I'm sad I had to learn it the way I did and I'm, Lucky I didn't get more injured in the process, um, but I'm glad that it was a lesson I learned. And you know, as I said, it was a happy story in the end. He, he stayed with our family until he passed away. So um, I always had that horse, and I'll always respect him for getting my foot in the door because once I had a horse, there was no way I was letting mum not have another horse for me. Um, so, you know, as much as it was a rude introduction to horse ownership, um, it, it, it got me. it got me where I am now. What do you think makes horse people different? You know, you're saying, well, that, I mean, you could have gone either way. could have been, oh, I'm never going to ride a horse again. You know, it's just too dangerous and I, I get injured all the time. But what, um, you know, what makes horse people different to other people? What core skills, character traits do they have? Um, I think there's a few different things. I think you have to be persistent. Um, you know, there's going to be setbacks. No matter what horse you get, um, there's going to be a time where they're injured. There's going to be a time when you're injured. There's going to be a time when it feels like the wheels are falling off as you're sort of transitioning from one, you know, educational platform to another and you're learning new skills. It's it's not always a straight line to success. So you've got to be able to just keep pushing through, which I suppose is the days where I refer to that Winston Churchill quote, where it feels like you're going through hell to keep going um, because you will come out the other side of it. And then I think, you know, patience is obviously a pretty important one. There's not really much room for ego in working with horses successfully. Um, so you've, you've got to be patient. 
And then I think the last thing you need is a sense of humor. Because if you can't laugh about it, you're just going to end up crying. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure, for sure. And what do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry? But it's, it's always something new. You know, if you want to keep learning, then the horse industry is probably not for you because every horse is a different individual. And, you know, you're going to be presented with a challenge and something that works so well one horse is not going to be the answer for another and I know that some people sort of find that a bit frustrating um, but for me that's just an opportunity to learn a new skill um, you know it's it's for someone I've dealt a lot with I guess you know learning theory and predominantly negative reinforcement with horses I started dabbling a bit in positive reinforcement because I came across a situation that just wasn't sort of wasn't wasn't coming to the conclusion I'd hoped with the negative reinforcement processes I had in place. Um, so I thought I'd give it a whirl, and, and for that horse, it just really worked. Um, so now that's just another another thing I can I can learn more about and, and work with and and put in my skill set. And that still comes under the operant conditioning you know training banner. Um, and yeah, it's just you get to keep going and keep learning, and you never stop. Okay. Now, for people to be in the horse industry, though, and this is money aside, but for people to make it, oh, I won't say at the top, at the top within their chosen field, all right, what do you think are the challenges? Um, would we be talking chosen field within riding or chosen field within well, that's, that's why I'm saying in their chosen field, you know, you might say, oh, well, who's a top horse person? And you might think, well, if you win gold at the Olympics, you might be a top horse person. But if you've done some breakthrough research, you know, that's still top in your area, in your niche. So what are the challenges? You know, if, you, if you've if you got aims, you know, because you're going on to do your PhD now, so I'm sure you've got, you'll yeah. have... And you might say, oh, that's what I want to do. But, you know, then you'll find some research that you're really interested in or some something else. You know, what sort of challenges do you expect to have on your way within your chosen niche? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're going to have to deal with things never really going to plan. Um, you know, I, I think it's really have a goal and want to work towards it and you have an idea of the steps you're going to take to get there. Um, I've learned to accept that tangents are inevitable. You know, um, you might have to sidestep at some point. You might have to push forward sooner than you thought. You might have to hold back when you thought you'd be going. Um, and I think that kind of applies to both writing as well as, as research. You know, it's, it's to get to the top, it's never going to be a straight line. You're never going to have a contingency plan for everything that comes your way. Um, you know, if, if you have been able to just go from A to B and, and that's worked for you, then I think you're in a very blessed minority. But, you know, for most people I know, things never really unfurled the way they hoped. You know, they, they got somewhere sooner than expected or, or later than expected or, you know, they had to do different degrees in order to get to their PhD because they just weren't getting the results that they hoped and it wasn't meant to, you know, it wasn't a, a reflection of whether or not they were capable of doing the PhD. And sometimes, you know, research just doesn't go your way. I mean, in my in my honours thesis, my whole research and um, experiment design changed halfway through, which was just not something I was planning for. But that happens and you've just got to take those punches and keep rolling. Yep, 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 absolutely. Yeah, thinking about horse care, looking after horses, you know, because you're sort of working with other students and vet students and everything else, 
What do you think is the biggest problem that people have? There's two questions here. One is horse welfare, and then I'm going to ask you also about horse behaviour. So the biggest problem that they've got now, but I also want to talk about how to address it because, you know, we're about education. We want to learn how to look after our horses better, how to, to interpret them better, work with them better. So if you can answer those two questions, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I great questions. Um, I think that the big that we have with horse behaviour and I guess horse ownership a lot just in general um, is that it, is, it can often be rooted in tradition and the way things were always done. Or, it, you know, my grandfather raised horses his whole life and he's always done this and it, it always turned out fine. Um, and, the, you know, the practices aren't being reflected on or questioned um, as we improve our knowledge of how to work with horses and, and understanding how the horse learns and, and interprets its environment. So, you know, things that we can do with horses management-wise or training-wise that worked 20 years ago and it wouldn't blink at, like we we need to reassess them. And we run into trouble because a lot of the time when you challenge someone's long-held belief, um, they can almost bonker further down their certainty that they're right because no one likes to be told they're wrong. And I suppose this is where the remember why you started is really important because, you know, it can be frustrating for academics trying to give out new information um, to the public about, you know, things we can do to change, things we can change to improve horse welfare and horse management. Um, and a lot of the time people just don't want to hear it because it's not how they do things. It's complete opposite. Um that they're thinking about their ego there and not wanting to be wrong and they're not thinking about um, whether or not things that they thought were right may actually be right. So that that would definitely be the biggest problem I've found when it comes to taking that step between doing the research and trying to trying to get it to gain traction within the industry is that um, if, if it's something that really challenges what they believe, um, it can be quite hard to get traction on, on that change. Okay, okay. You know, I sort of expected, because I know that you work a lot with Dr. Hayley Randall, and the last time she was on, she said her biggest thing that she'd like to change with welfare is people thinking that they're doing the right thing but over-rugging horses. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's not, you know, it's not just the training, it's it's, it's everything in the management. You know, I, I don't know how much more research need on, you know, scraping your horse after uh, after hosing it isn't necessary in hot weather. But, you know, there's still a large contingent of people that will not um, accept that information, thinking that it affects the horse's family regulation um, and, and heats them up. But, you know, if that were true, horses wouldn't sweat to cool themselves down. So it, it's, just, it's, it's just you've got to be very patient and deliberate with the way that you give the information out and, you know, Try not to be aggressive with it because that never works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If people are going to change one thing about the way they handle horses, you know, and, and thinking that people want to do the right thing, the majority of people do remember where they came from. The majority of people want to do the right thing. You know, the majority of people may overfeed their horses or overrug them or overdo something else, but they genuinely want to do the right thing. And, um, you know, if they sort of keep doing the research. But what's one thing then, horse handling, horse 
behaviour-wise that people aren't recognising, aren't seeing? Um, I think one of the things that I would really love to see people let go of is, you know, uh, and it's 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 just something that I think has been normalised, um, I guess, when we, we deal with horses. It's the idea that um, when we don't get the correct response, the horse is being willful or ignorant of what we're asking it or, you know, anything like that, um, instead of reflecting and saying, well, how am, how am I asking? You know, did I apply the cue correctly? Has it been applied consistently? You know, can I expect them to give me the correct answer if you've ever asked it before and that type of thing? Um, and, you know, there's just there's still a lot of language revolving around, oh, he doesn't want to do it or he's not doing it on purpose and, and that type of thing. And the more we can consciously change that pattern of thinking, I think we'll see a much better increase in the way we deal with horses because that's just not how they process information. Yes, so it's while horses have got feelings and emotions, it's not, they're not the same as people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I think that's that's great. In essence, we're trying to speak to someone who doesn't speak our language. And yes. They don't, you know, they do a very good job of trying to learn what we want and our language the best they can, but, you know, we're, we're sort of responsible for them, so we've got to try and learn their language as much as they've got to learn ours. Yes, yes, and they are trying to tell us things, but um, we've got to listen. Exactly. Mm. Now, Ella, I know you, you're doing a PhD now, but... You, Competition-wise, you're still competing. Yeah, well, as much as you can during Corona. Yeah, yep. um, I actually just a dressage competition, a virtual one, uh, on the weekend. Yeah, and um, one of the local dressage clubs held a, a virtual dressage competition, which is fantastic. And that was the first competition back for me in about oh, I think eighteen months. Okay, because unfortunately, my um. My young thoroughbred was injured and it took the better part of a year to sort of rehab that injury and get him firing again. Mm -hmm. um, so we had entered our first real competition and then Corona shut everything down and, and cancelled it. So online, yes, <laughs> we are still competing. And once the competition went up again in real life, I will be trying the hardest I can to get to as many as I can. Um, we're lucky to have some really great competitions around here, uh, Wagra and Aubrey and um, a few other places nearby. So that's fantastic. And you love thoroughbreds. That's a reflection of your, um, your great aunt, is it? Yeah, you, you would think that after the nightmare experience that was my first horse, um, I would not be wanting anything to do with them. But, you know, that first horse was quickly followed up with a second horse who was also a thoroughbred who competed to... Uh, well, then it was two star. It'd be three star in today's mm -hmm. uh, today's rankings. Um, you know, and she was the most patient, loving horse. I think I was fourteen years old, and she was about seventeen two pounds tall. And you couldn't have asked for a horse to take better care of a young rider. You know, she would cart me on those cross country courses with that that absolute purpose and love for her job. You know, she didn't think much of the dressage arena, and I was very careful not to <laughs> not to ask. I guess it's where you can really feel that, that sense of understanding and, and love for what they do, which would yet again be, I guess, why I chase horse behaviour and welfare and sort of looking at how we, we um, analyse that and assess it because anyone who's out on a horse that loves their job knows that that horse loves their job. They're trying to prove that is a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> okay, okay. But yeah, ever since then, I've just had thoroughbreds. 
Yep. Yeah, look, I, I had a, you know an FEI dressage horse that was a thoroughbred, and this is sort of at the time where people were just starting to not use thoroughbreds and you know go into warm bloods. And yeah, I just think oh, the horse is a horse, and you just want to have the best horse. And and I particularly like thoroughbreds. I like you know they're a bit hotter, and and even now you know French warm blooded a bit hotter than the German warm bloods, and I prefer the hotter breeds myself, but, you know, that's just maybe I'm just lazy and don't like, you know, I, I um, prefer the hotter breeds, the more sensitive breeds, the ones that need the more subtle aids. That, that's my choice. Yeah, well, I always like to know that the horse is doing more work than I am when I'm wrong, yet I certainly, certainly with you, and I, I don't want to be sitting on top of work and constantly encouraging it to have some exactly. kind of work ethic. Exactly, exactly. Um, just um, naturally want to know, go I, forward. I think that they're just... When you get a good one, you know, yeah. they, they they might not be as well built for you know, a lot of the jobs today as, you know, the purpose-bred warm bloods and everything, but when you get a good one, you can't fault the way they try for yep. you. Yep, yep. Ella, thank you for chatting to us today. I really enjoyed that. Really appreciated your, your time. I'm sort of looking forward to staying in touch with you, particularly with your research, and I think that um, sometimes it's you've just got to do the research to either prove or disprove, and, you know, I'm sure that, that some research, you know, is going to work out a little bit different to what the person initially thought of, but I think the fact that you can either prove or disprove and it's scientifically backed and you've got that sort of evidence-based science, um, I think that's just so important. It gets rid of the old wives' tales that don't work, but it defines and um, confirms the old wives' tale that's, that do work. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff rooted in tradition that is still applicable today and still just as useful. But, you know, as you pointed out, there's plenty of things that we've got to look at, reflect on and critique and decide whether or not they've got a place in modern horse training and management for sure. Yeah. Now, Ella, if people would like to contact you, ask questions, what's the best way? Um, I'd say probably contacting me via email would be the best way. Um, and I think you've got my email there. We do. We do. And we'll uh, put those. Is... Yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to list it out, but to be honest, um, it's got my double barrel surname in there, so it's, it's probably it's better probably, to it down. <laughs> well, it's probably easy if they, um, yes, if they want to go to the bottom of your page. Now, just go to horsechats.com. Search for Ella or search for Bradshaw. Phone number, Ella, is there, there one there if people want to send you a quick text or give you a call? If anyone wants to send me anything, it's 04100 366. Perfect. And that number will be on the bottom of your page as well, Ella. So just go to horsechats.com, search for Ella, search for Bradshaw, and um, we'll put those details on the page. So thank you, Ella. Looking forward to catching up with you again and... Um, finding out how far along you've come and um, getting some new insights from you. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely honoured that you asked me to come on. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 